0: Well, we are looking at some of Jesus' stories, those parables, the stories that had a a purpose to tell us uh, and help us understand more about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of heaven. And one of those is found in Matthew 18. I want to encourage you to turn there. We're going to be looking at that together. It's actually one of the more challenging parables to to appropriately understand and certainly uh, to appropriately uh, apply. And as you're finding that, let me just uh, get us into the the subject with uh, a story out of the the headlines of our nation. September 6, 2018, Amber Geiger, an off-duty patrol officer in Dallas, entered the apartment of a 26-year-old accountant by the name of Baltham John. She later said she thought it was her own apartment, which was one floor down, and mistook John for a burglar, shooting and killing him. One year later, October 1st, 2019, she's found guilty of murder. And October 2nd, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Botham John's brother, Brant, was allowed to give a victim impact statement, and he addressed Amber Geiger directly. My guess is most, if not just about everyone in the room has seen that, whether that's on the news or as it's gone viral on social media. His words were powerful as he addressed the woman who shot and killed his older brother. If you are truly sorry, I can speak for myself. I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself but I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I presently want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Baltham would have wanted you to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. And then, (laughs) pleading with the, the judge, he said, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? And granted permission, and there was that dramatic moment of the hug between the brother, whose older brother was shot and killed by the woman wielding the weapon. And the response has been overwhelming. People step back and marvel at such an act of forgiveness in light of such an incredible loss and pain. And yet that wasn't the whole of the family's response. The response that didn't go viral but I think equally needs to be heard by the Christian community, is from his mother, who also identifies as a follower of Christ. Allison said, forgiveness for us as Christians is a healing for us. But as my husband said, there are consequences. It does not mean that everything else we have suffered has to go unnoticed. And what went unnoticed? Well, according to Allison, the crime scene was contaminated by Dallas police. High-ranking officials deleted evidence. Police officers turned off cameras. In her words, you saw investigations that were marred with corruption. Mother Allison said, while we walk as Christians we still have a responsibility to ensure that our city does what is right. And isn't that what makes forgiveness so challenging? Because as followers of Christ, as believers in the gospel, forgiveness matters, but justice matters. And we are to be seekers of both in the societies in which we live and we have a God who is loving and merciful and we sing songs about that and we celebrate that as rightly we should but we also know that according to his word we have a God who is just and he looks to those who claim his name to walk in justice even as we walk in grace and mercy perhaps that's why Perhaps that's why C.S. Lewis said years ago, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. Because when I have something to forgive, all of those issues of, of how does justice and fairness and rightness and consequences and how do all of those things fit into this idea of forgiveness, and I, I'm afraid that sometimes we cheapen forgiveness that that when we understand forgiveness we need to look to the cross of jesus christ for at the cross in that that bloody horrific cross we find that justice of a holy god meeting the grace and mercy of our god and that neither was ignored and both were brought together at the cross of jesus christ and jesus expects his followers to walk in that same way. And so when you come to Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. And he's just, just taught a little bit about what to do if your brother sins against you. And then Peter ask a a question and the question and comment kind of gives some context to the parable and so let's before we dive into the meat of the parable of the unforgiving servant let's make sure we understand the context verse 21 in Matthew 18 then Peter came up and said to him he's trying to process all this teaching of forgiveness and what does it mean and how do you do it Lord how often Will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy, seven times. Now, the context helps us to understand that, that Peter's asking this question, and, and, and even the question, he is kind of going above and beyond. The, the rabbis of the day, based on some passages from the prophet Amos, uh, would say that you forgive three times, and that after the third time of forgiving, your obligation to forgive is is gone. So Peter actually more than doubles that and adds one, right? Uh, I mean, it's uh, seven, right? Seven times times. Look, look, Jesus, I'm getting this thing, right? And seven may have even been connected to uh, the the account of Cain and Abel, the the vengeance of uh, Cain sevenfold. And Jesus responds, not seven times, but 77, or could be perhaps translated seven times 70. Again, perhaps an allusion to uh, the Genesis account of uh, of, uh, Lamech. And when you begin to think of that, Jesus wasn't saying, well, you need to get a score sheet and write out 77 and and mark them off, right? And the idea was, no, 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 this is an ongoing thing. There is not an end to it. And then to drive it home, Jesus does what he so often did. In the face of this question in the face of way i thought i was really being like super spiritual and now you're telling me i wasn't even close jesus tells a story a story that's understanding and application has caused some challenges and controversy along the way therefore verse 23 the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants When his fellow servant what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And when his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, as we think about that, let's just unpack that parable around the main character. Three stages of the main character. The first, he was a debtor, he was in debt. And it was not just any debt. It was an astronomical debt. And I realize sometimes when we, we read these figures in Scripture, they don't mean a whole lot to us because we don't traffic in that, that kind of currency. Uh, but uh, those who have studied it say, basically, this debt that he owed was, would be the equivalent of 17 years of wages, 17 years of annual wages for 10,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. So probably like millions, billions perhaps, right, of dollars if you tried to put it in ours, right? So the picture is this debt, is actually rather foolish for him to say, give me time, be patient, I'll repay it, right? You couldn't repay it. If you had a thousand lifetimes, you couldn't repay it. That's how great your debt is. He's a debtor. And in this incredible act of grace and mercy, the king absolves him of his debt. He absorbs the loss personally. Second stage, he is now a creditor. <laughs> He has been set free, he's, he's not been imprisoned, his, his family hasn't been imprisoned and, and sold and, uh, to pay off at least some portion of that, so he's a creditor. And there's another servant who owes him, and it's not an insignificant debt, it would be perhaps the equivalent of a hundred days wages, so it's not like he just stiffed him with a lunch bill or something. I mean, this was a pretty significant uh, amount that he owed. Now, in comparison to what he was in debt, it was, it's small, but it was not an insignificant debt. This one who has just been released from his debt, instead of extending that same grace, takes this guy, chokes him. And even though he pleads with basically the same words he had just been pleading to the king with, he refuses to release the debt and instead wants him to be in prison. Well, this word is reported to the king and the king takes action. And now he who was a debtor had become a creditor is now a prisoner, that he is thrown into prison. And this is where the understanding of this parable gets a little interesting. Because as we read particularly those, those last few verses about I had mercy on you, and in his anger, he delivered him to the jailers, actually it could be translated torturers, uh, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What does that mean? Well, some have looked at this, read this parable, and they said, well, clearly what it means is if you've been forgiven and you don't forgive others, then your forgiveness is revoked. You are in debt again. You owe it all, all over again. Or said another way, you lose your salvation. That seems to be contrary to the teaching of the New Testament as a whole, which would call into question, is that really the best way to understand this story? Others would say, well, what's being communicated here is that this guy who was a debtor, then was a creditor, he demonstrated by his actions that he really wasn't forgiven. He wasn't really forgiven of his debt. And so he's not a genuine believer. And by his unforgiveness toward others, he's demonstrating he's not really a believer. And so this just proves that he wasn't a believer. Therefore, he is still on the hook for all of his debt. Uh, perhaps a little better understanding. But I think the key to understanding this is to understand the way that forgiveness is talked about in Scripture. There are two aspects of God's forgiveness. We can call the first aspect, and maybe the one we think about uh, most clearly, is judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is, is God functioning as, as judge. And if judicial forgiveness is about eternal consequences, And it is about God extending to us a forgiveness that we would call, perhaps theologically, justification. We are are justified. Our, our, Our debt is erased as Christ cried out on the cross. It is finished, it is paid in full. And so, as we come and understand, there's nothing I could do to ever repay my incredible debt to a holy God. And the only hope I have is his grace and mercy. That Jesus stepped in with the life he lived, with that death on the cross, with the burial, with the resurrection, and he paid for my debt. He covered my debt so that I could be forgiven. So that instead of experiencing the eternal consequences of my sin, I can now be reconciled with a holy God. That is a judicial forgiveness. I am pronounced not guilty because my guilt has been transferred to Christ Jesus but there is also a parental forgiveness a parental forgiveness is as we relate to God as father and this is as our our sin uh, needs mercy from a grieving father And this is about the the sanctification of our life. So that you would come to verses like uh, 1 John. 1 John 1, 9, perhaps familiar to many in the room. If if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us for all all unrighteousness. A lot of times people think, well, that's about evangelism. That's like a verse you share uh, to invite somebody to receive Christ. But as you read it in the context, and I'm saying it's totally wrong to use that, it's a letter written to believers. It is a letter written to folks who are already followers of Jesus Christ. And what he is reminding us of there is that just because I have been forgiven of these eternal consequences, I continue in the flesh. I continue in this world. I continue under the influence of the evil one. I continue to sin. I continue to do things that grieve the heart of my heavenly father. And in order for our relationship, our fellowship to be be clean, uh, to be wide open, for me to stand in the fullness of what it means to be a child of God, I have to uh, confess, I have to agree, I have to repent of those sins. It's not about eternal consequences, but it is about my life, it is about those relational consequences along the way. So I think the best understanding of this parable, particularly that last part, when he is a prisoner, is the understanding that he's talking not about the judicial forgiveness. His debt had been forgiven. What did he owe at that point? His debt had been wiped off the books. What did he owe? He owed the same mercy that he had been extended. He owed forgiving others the way that he had been forgiven. And when he wasn't willing to do that, The result was that he was handed over to the jailers through the tortures. The result was that he experienced that what I will experience as a child of God, if I walk in unforgiveness, I don't lose my salvation, but I will experience a grieving father's loving discipline toward his child. And at times that may be very, very, very even Intense. As I experience the consequences in my heart and soul and life of living in an unforgiveness and living unlike my father. You say, okay, Jeff, I, 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 I'm not sure about all the, the theological nuances there, but this forgiveness thing, I get it. I get it. Jesus said, forgive, and you know, forgive as you've been forgiven. All those things, but quite honestly, it's a whole lot easier for me to tell other people they need to forgive than to forgive somebody that's really hurt me. And I think part of that is because very often we don't understand what forgiveness is. And so I want to walk through this, and I'm going to lean into some of this because my experience with people and my gut tells me that A lot of folks get real confused around this. So please kind of track with me here, all right? If I'm gonna understand forgiveness, perhaps it's best to eliminate some things, all right? To say forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness not? Because there's a lot of baggage sometimes around this whole thing of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not denying the seriousness or the pain of the offense, Forgiveness is not saying it wasn't so bad. It didn't really hurt. No big deal. No, 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 no. Some of us have been hurt. And the pain was not a bee sting. It was a wound. Sometimes we feel like if I forgive, it's saying it didn't really hurt. Or it's saying I'm not still today living with consequences of what somebody did toward me. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not, and yes, that is rain, okay. (laughs) Just thought I'd help. (laughs) It's not denying the seriousness or the pain of the offense. It's looking it square in the eye. It hurt. It was ugly. I'm still living with some of the consequences of it. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation, okay? And some of it, I know I'll get pushed back, but that's all right. But I found folks, sometimes we live in such guilt because it's like, well, if I really was forgiving this person, we would be reconciled. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is is something that begins in me, right? And sometimes I'll talk, teach it this way. Forgiveness depends upon me. Reconciliation depends upon we. The, the reconciliation requires two, right? And... Uh, and while I, I may forgive, and we'll, we'll talk about kind of that operative definition of, of forgiveness in just a moment, I, I, I can forgive regardless of what this person does or doesn't do, but in order for us to be reconciled, particularly if there's some great offense, now I'm not talking about, you know, they, they you know, took a bite of your banana pudding or something, but, uh, but, you know, some great offense, right? That there needs to be a repentance. That there needs to be, some things that happen from their end, in order for reconciliation to take place, and this doesn't mean I become the reconciliation police and you know have a long list of thirty-two steps you have to step through. But but it is a, it is a recognition that I can forgive someone and we aren't reconciled, and that's that's legitimate. Forgiveness is not the same as rebuilding trust, and these are are closely aligned. Sometimes when somebody has been the offender, sometimes they'll say, well, he hasn't forgiven me or she hasn't forgiven me because, well, they don't trust me. And, and, you know, there are times that, you know, you try to be pastoral, but there's times you just want to say, well, duh. I mean, of course not. You have been behaving in untrustworthy ways. Why would they trust you? Trust has to be built. Trust can be broken in a moment, but it has to be built over time. And that doesn't mean you haven't been forgiven. It just means let's see if you're going to behave in a trustworthy manner. Listen, if you stole $10,000 from me, Forgiveness doesn't mean, well, here, here's another (laughs) 10,000, right? No. Will you behave in a manner worthy of trust? Can I just press in a little more? For some to rebuild trust may mean you're going to have to be much more transparent and much more vulnerable and much more accountable than you were before. In order for you to rebuild trust, you may have to give somebody access to some areas of your life that you, they hadn't had access to before. Your email, your text, your screen time, your bank account, phone records, on and on. I can extend forgiveness, but trust is earned. Trust is earned, particularly once it's been broken. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. It's not the same as rebuilding trust. And forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Wait a minute, Jeff, wait a minute. Don't, don't we talk about forgive and forget? Forget. Well, we talk about it, but that doesn't mean it's right. (laughs) Okay. And again, I've seen people walk around with guilt because I must not have really forgiven them because I can still remember what they did. I can still remember the pain of that. Well, of course you can. That's how your brain was wired. That's how God built you, right? Paul knew he was forgiven by God, but he didn't forget all the things that he had done in his past. He could tell you, right? So I, I want you to think about forgiveness as, as, as a path. Because sometimes we feel such guilt because well, I, I'm, I'm trying to I forgive. And I thought I had forgiven, but then I heard something, I saw something, something happened. All these emotions, all these memories, all this stuff come flooding back. And I must not have truly forgiven them. No, no, no. Forgiveness is a path you're going to travel. And you may have to renew that forgiveness day by day by day, particularly in the early stages. So let's not beat ourselves up and say, well, I must not have forgiven because three days later I still have this memory or, or three months later something triggered this and I had these feelings just well up inside me again. No, you just have to choose to forgive again. You have to choose to continue to travel the pathway of forgiveness. Doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. Doesn't mean that you will ever fully Forget. As in have no capacity to remember. It just means you don't choose to hold that debt over them anymore. Okay, if that's what forgiveness is not, what is forgiveness? Well, I don't know if it would qualify in academic circles, but let me give you this description. Forgiveness is choosing. It's choosing to release our offender, the one who has hurt us, wounded us, from obligation for repayment that was created by their offense and to cover the loss ourselves, entrusting ourselves to God. It is is me understanding I'm not gonna hold them up. I'm not gonna hold out and seek and not move on with my life until I get full repayment. But I'm I'm gonna cover that offense. I'm gonna cover that loss myself. That's what the king did, right? The servant owed this astronomical amount. And he chose to release him from the obligation of repayment and to cover the loss himself. And isn't that what Jesus did? Peter told us when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Forgiveness as a follower of Christ, this relational forgiveness, me toward another person, is me choosing. Me choosing to say, I'm not going to continue to seek the repayment of that debt. I'm going to cover the loss. And I'm going to entrust myself to the one who always judges justly. I want to get out of the the business of seeking personal vengeance and entrust myself and entrust them to the Lord. Businesses do this all the time, right? At some point, you maybe you've been dealing with a company and they're they're not going to repay, or maybe the company goes under and they have no capacity to repay and the business writes off the loss. They have to absorb it themselves. Now... I mean, again, push a little bit. For some of us in the room, there are things that have happened to you that there is no adequate repayment for. Right? Some horrific things that happen to children. Maybe some of you. What repayment could make that right? What could be done to make that square? Nothing. There's no amount of repayment. Well, if I could just beat them... Would it really repay what was taken? Would it really cover the loss you've experienced? Again, not diminishing the pain one moment, but recognizing that there are sometimes there's no repayment that they will make. There's no repayment that they could make. For some of us, the person is gone. We couldn't track them down. Or maybe they're they're physically dead. What could they do to repay you that would make it right? So I choose. I choose to release that offender from the obligation for repayment. Cover the loss myself. And in the power of Christ, I entrust them and myself to God. Why is this important? Why is it important to learn to forgive? Well, f- because God's forgiven me. That's part of what Jesus was driving home. The same way this king uh, forgave this servant. So the servant should forgive another servant. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I, with this incredible debt toward God, have been forgiven, why would I not be forgiving toward another? Paul encouraged the Ephesians, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And what's the standard? What's the model? As God in christ forgave you i have found that when we fail to realize the awesomeness of god's forgiveness toward us we tend to be unforgiving toward others i found that those who tend most toward legalism tend most toward being unforgiving when we tend to think that somehow we, we have earned favor with God or acceptance with God or we're better than uh, average or whatever it might be, we fail to be in awe of the awesomeness of our debt before a holy God. And If we're not aware of our debt, we tend to be unforgiving toward others. We forgive because God's forgiven me because resentment makes me miserable. It makes me miserable. The the guy, he thinks, I'm going to get this guy. I'm choking him. I'm going to get, I'm going to get my repayment. And he ends up being in prison and tortured, right? That's what unforgiveness does. That's what resentment does. Resentment always hurts you more than it does the other person. Someone put it this way. Unforgiveness and holding resentment is kind of like me drinking poison and waiting for you to die, right? It's a dumb plan. It's a dumb plan, right? But we do it all the time. Resentment makes me miserable. Why would I choose to live there? Forgiveness is not about a feeling. It's about a choice. I don't feel like forgiving I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm not sure Christ woke up and said, I feel like being crucified today. (laughs) Forgiveness isn't about a feeling. It's about a choice. Henry Cloud puts it this way. To forgive someone means to let him off the hook, to cancel a debt he owes you. When you refuse to forgive someone, you still want something from that person. Even if it's revenge, you want. And it keeps you tied to him forever. As long as you want something from them, some form of repayment, your life is knotted up with them. And you are not free. It's been said that forgiveness sets a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was me. The servant who thought he was getting repayment ends up imprisoning himself. A third reason I forgive is because I'm gonna need forgiveness again. (laughs) This servant demonstrated it. He had been forgiven by the king and yet he steps right out and steps right into it again. He needs to be forgiven again. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, a continual reminder that I'm going to need forgiveness and I need to be forgiving. Blessed Jesus that are the merciful, for they are the ones that receive that mercy. I'm going to continue to need that parental forgiveness from my heavenly Father. And so I continually come before him. I continually, in his power and strength, release others. So how do I know if I need to forgive someone? Well, some of us already know. But I would suggest to you three tests that might scrape below the surface a little bit. The first one is the blame test. The blame test simply asks, who am I blaming for my unhappiness? Who am I blaming for my unhappiness? Well, if they hadn't done this, or if they had just done this, well, if they hadn't treated me this way, or if I had been given this or that or whatever it may be, I'm blaming somebody else for my unhappiness. That's usually a clue that there's a forgiveness issue that needs to be addressed. The blame test. Then there's the bitterness test. The bitterness test. The bitterness test says in one way, form, or fashion, they owe me. After what they did to me, they owe me. And, and we, we kind of have the, this, this scale, right? And we're, we're keeping score. I'm, I'm, I'm behind. They owe me. And as long as I continue to operate out of a mindset that says somebody owes me, Bitterness grips my heart and it's a sure sign that I'm still seeking a repayment from them. The bitterness test. Thirdly, the behavior test. The behavior test says, do I find myself sometimes relating to someone because they remind me of someone else? I I start to understand this person I don't like them, I don't trust them, Whatever, because they remind me of so-and-so. And that may be an indication that I'm holding on to some hurts, that I'm transferring resentment from this person in my past to this person in my present. The behavior test. In the end, we all have one of two options for dealing with our hurts. We can either rehearse it or we can release it. We rehearse it or we release it. We we either continue to go over it and over it and over it in our minds and sometimes even begin to tell others all the time. Or we release it. Say, God, you who have forgiven me so much, would you help me to release this debt? To release them from the obligation to repay. To release them for, from this desire for vengeance. And I entrust myself to the God who always judges justly. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Doesn't mean you're reconciled. Doesn't mean trust is automatically restored and rebuilt. But it means I begin to be set free. Now please understand, there may be an appropriate place for unpacking some of this, grieving this, processing this with another person. It's appropriate to walk through that with a trusted counselor or someone to walk alongside you, maybe someone even with some skill sets to help with that. I'm not talking about that. That's not not rehearsing in this way. That's part of the pathway to releasing it. But I'm either going to keep rehearsing it or I'm going to choose to release it. And if I choose to rehearse it, I'm going to find there's still a prisoner. But that prisoner's me. Because when I release, forgiveness sets a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was me. Nelson Mandela led the emancipation of South Africa from white minority rule, served as his country's first black president. He became an international symbol of democracy, but also of forbearance and forgiveness. Now, Mandela was not a perfect man. He had his own errors and weaknesses, but he's a powerful figure at the end of the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century. And he can rightly be honored for many things, including modeling a Christ-like forgiveness. Mandela had been imprisoned for 27 years years. Think about that. 27 years of the core of your adult life robbed from you, including time in the infamous Robben Island. Discovery Channel program described him in these ways. Imprisoned for 27 years, Nelson Mandela had every right to hate. Instead, he taught the world to forgive. Adrian Volk, who was the minister of law and order, said when Mandela came out of prison, he did not have a record of wrongs done to him because then he would have embarked on a road of revenge. What did he do? He embarked immediately on a road of forgiveness. Rory Stein, his former bodyguard, wrote a book entitled One Step Behind Mandela. And the first chapter was entitled The Path of Forgiveness. Mandela talked about walking out of those prison doors after 27 years. And a choice he had to make. He said, as I walked out that door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Can I suggest to you, can I hope for you and pray for you, that you experience the freedom of forgiveness? The forgiveness that comes from the Father toward us as we recognize that he did it all through the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we we open our lives to receive his forgiveness, to be reconciled through repentance and entrusting ourselves to him. Can I encourage you even more to not only experience that forgiveness, but to be a conduit of that forgiveness? to experience the freedom that comes when you release someone from the debt they owe to you. Because forgiveness really does set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was me. Christ wants you free. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, you know our stories. You know the wounds, you know the scars, you know the things we cover up with Sunday smiles. You know our hearts and our heads. You know all that we have done against you. You know all that has been done against us all that we have done to hurt and wound another. And so, Father, we look to you. We look to you in our hurt and our pain and our confusion. We look to you in sometimes even a bitterness of heart and soul. And we ask you to set us free. Father, I pray right now that you would set some people free in this room. I pray, Father, that there would be those who would come to an understanding of their need for forgiveness. Forgiveness from a holy, righteous, just, heavenly Father. And that today they would come before you and plead only for mercy provided by Jesus Christ. That today would be the day that they're reconciled to you through repentance and through faith. Lord, touch them, draw them to yourself today. Father, I pray for those that know the name of Jesus Christ. Father, would you, in a world that seems so filled with hate and so so toxic, would you help us to be those men and women who live differently? Would you help us to be those men and women who, yes, we pursue justice. Yes, we seek to right the wrongs in our culture, but at the same time, we are those who extend grace and forgiveness to those who have hurt and offended us. Father, there's nothing in my flesh that wants to do that, but only in your grace. And so, Father, right here, right now, would you set some prisoners for And I'm just going to invite you just to be still before the Father for just 60 seconds.